Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 79th episode, and I am back and here after the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Well, it was probably the most anticipated event of the season, and believe me, I am upset that I was not able to release a preview episode for this race. Um, I'll let you guys in on uh, that I was very sick from Sunday to Wednesday, uh, fevered, couldn't get out of bed. I missed two days of work. Um, and then, yeah, by you know the time I started feeling better on Thursday, the event was starting that night. And uh, for the amount of time, I was actually pretty prepared to start recording, but I just figured, why would I put out a preview episode, you know, midway through Thursday when most of you guys had probably already made your commute to work and probably weren't even going to see the opportunity to download my podcast for, you know, your your drive home or anything like that. So I just decided that I would get back to full health and come back the following week and just do a review of the Vegas Grand Prix. Um, it was unfortunate. Um, so I do apologize and I, you know, hope you guys understand. Uh, so before we do get to the action in Sin City, first a quick reminder though to check out the link tree in the description as always. It has links to the pages that you can find this podcast, uh, like the platforms like, you know, my YouTube channel, my break by Twitter and TikTok. Um, I was actually pretty active on my personal Twitter uh, this weekend um, with just a lot of things that were bothering me in the Formula One world. Um, you can also find that there uh, going to the link tree description. It also has my email address, Instagram and LinkedIn if you'd like to contact me in any way. So now let's talk about the race in the entertainment capital of the world. Well, this weekend, Formula One returned to Las Vegas for the first time since 1982, where the finale of that season took place in the parking lot of the Caesars Palace. Let's just say that one was a bit of a dud, um, or those two, I should say, um, and the track uh, was unbelievably dull looking at uh, the layout versus what we got. Um, I know a lot of people were still questioning this layout I'll get to that in a moment um, but by default it was pretty much better than what we got in uh, that car park uh, in front of the Caesars Palace of course I'm not going to pretend that I was alive for it Um, I was born 17 years after the last Las Vegas Grand Prix however I have seen the layout I have seen clips of that race and uh, it was shocking Um, I can't help but think back then that some of the drivers were thinking to themselves, like, you know, they're in Las Vegas. Imagine what it would be, you know, racing just over there, you know, on that main strip. And uh, then probably laughing about how unlikely that would ever be because nobody shuts Vegas down. In fact, I believe the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, an NHL team, for those who may not be familiar, they just won the Stanley Cup last year, were one of the first um, to ever shut down the strip for their parade. So, um, that was, you know, unprecedented in and of itself, um, to put on an event like this is insane. Formula one has put in so much money into it. Um, and of course they have now done it and was it a success? It's hard to say because I feel like there are definitely some mixed reactions from what went down. Um, let me get into that, I guess. Uh, first of all, a lot of people were 
worried before heading in this probably would have been in my preview episode um because you know ticket prices had actually gone down quite a bit um leading up to the event i think formula one may have been caught out by how expensive they made this grand prix um it is definitely not affordable for the common man um and a lot of the prices went down almost 50 percent um i think in the end attendance was still 315,000 people so that is still a ton and even if they paid the discounted price it was still a very expensive grand prix um and not only that there were worries about how cold it was going to be there um formula one even came out themselves saying that they didn't anticipate uh potentially single digit temperatures in celsius of course that is um in the desert in november at night and that was of course the source of a whole bunch of ridicule from formula one fans uh who apparently just love to rip on anything to do with f1 racing in america that isn't coda i feel like the traditionalists do love themselves some coda um but in terms of these races that have now come to miami and to vegas it seems like pretty much anything that comes along that is you know able to be criticized it's just the thing to do is to criticize it and believe me there are plenty of uh formula one personalities that i like i love listening to them watching their stuff uh i I, you know i'm at the end of the day even though i am somewhat of a content creator myself i am still a massive consumer of all of this formula one um content as well and i was extremely disappointed to see some people's comments or not even just singular comments it was just over and over and over endless tweets from them um about why this event is a shambles and shame on formula one and shame on racing in America essentially. And it was, uh, just getting to be a bit sickening. Um, you know, for example, it wasn't even just coming from personalities and pundits and journalists. It was also coming from the drivers themselves, especially led by Max Verstappen, starting with the opening ceremony. You know, I watched it. I thought it was pretty cool. Now, if that was at every event, it would be kind of strange. Uh, Don't get me wrong. But for something like this, to put on like a 30-minute show with a lot of somewhat notable um, acts, like, you know, everyone knows Journey, and um, um, some of the DJs were pretty well-known, like Steve Aoki and Tiesto and whatever. I I don't need to get into it too much, but it was a pretty cool 30-minute little um, performance where they had multiple uh, bands and DJs play and whatnot, and then at the end, they had the drivers you know, gave them a little obligation to wave at the fans on the, on these like rising podiums and whatever. And of course, Verstappen has to have an issue with it because it's not racing. It's part of the show. Um, so he said that they were standing up there looking like a bunch of clowns or whatever. And then it was 99% uh, show and 1% sporting event. And Again, it was just like, okay, like to me, you're just, you're, you're whining like a baby. I, you know, I'm not trying to play this card. Like a lot of people like to play this card with athletes that, you know, you're paid millions of dollars, um, you know, shut up. I do think that, you know, uh, argument is a little bit overused when it comes to athletes. Like they are people too. Uh, there are certain things that they shouldn't have to put up with, you know, like 
um, bickering fans. It's something that the NBA has has seen in the past, like fans actually you know using racial slurs at NBA players. Like that is not acceptable just because they make millions of dollars. I know this is nothing to that extent, but it's just an example of what I mean is that you can't just say that because people make millions that they're uh, they should have to put up with with anything. This, however, to me is extremely minor. And in fact, if it's growing the sport in America, you can say, oh, well, this isn't, you know, he had like a two minute explanation of saying that this isn't what we should be trying to bring in in terms like to try to attract the American fan base. We shouldn't be throwing, um, you know, Vegas at them with like clubs and, and party culture and and performances. Instead, we should be trying to get them to learn about what's going on on track well okay you're not wrong max however it's extremely hypocritical for you to make all these comments about uh you know why this is all for the show and then at the end of the race singing viva las vegas in your radio because you actually won and then uh uh, saying that you're excited to come back next year like it's just it was all just kind of sickening in my opinion from for Max, not his best hour. He was brilliant on the track, don't get me wrong, but off the track, he annoyed me more than he ever has um, this entire weekend because he was just feeding the other personalities that I had to see on on social media just continue to rip into this Grand Prix for whatever uh, may have come up. So excuse my rant. Um, because this is the part where I do have to criticize Formula One because what happened on Thursday night was inexcusable. Um, you know, not the fact that a drain hole cover, you know, popped up and went through Carlos Sainz's floor, um, almost injured him, and then completely destroyed his Ferrari. Um, it was not that. That has happened before, excuse me, I still have a little bit of a cough, Um, that has happened before, now, it's not an excuse, because it's happened before, that it should be allowed to happen, you know, Formula One should be inspecting the track better, although this was also an unprecedented event, where uh, they've never had a street track be actively, you know, having cars and traffic go on it throughout the day and then turning it into a Formula One track each night. So there were definitely issues with trying to inspect the track while cars, you know, were on it driving, uh, uh, like regular uh, commuters and whatnot. So, of course, that does make things a little bit more challenging. However, yes, they should have, um, you know, foreseen that possibility uh, of it being an issue. But that's not what I'm here to complain about. Um, That, of course, ruined FP1 and delayed FP2. Formula One fans who, you know, paid at least $300, and that was at the discounted price. Um, It was probably around $600 for some people that bought the tickets earlier just to come watch practice. And I'm told that there was about 35,000 people that came to Vegas just on the Thursday day pass. Um... And they got eight minutes of running. Yes, when FP2 started, it was extended 30 minutes. So it was a 90-minute session. However, the fans were told to go home um, for logistical concerns. So that, of course, pissed off a lot of people that stayed up not only very late, um, but paid a lot of money to be there. And then were told to go home at the last hour. They weren't told to go home several hours before 
you know, it was right when the session was about to start. Um, and I'm still not fully understanding why they had to go home, but we don't even need to get into that side. The next day, they release a statement with, I guess, about 600 words in it. None of them were sorry. Now, a lot of people may not be uh, privy to the fact that, you know, Formula One can't admit any liability or else they could get into serious legal problems. So, of course, that's a bit of like, it's a bit sickening as well. But Formula One has to do what they have to do to protect themselves, whatever. Um, And in fact, that's also why the fans didn't get a refund. Yes, $600 tickets were not refunded. They were given a $200 voucher for Formula One merch where I know better than anyone that might get you one shirt. Um, Especially if you don't live, if you, if you live outside of Europe and have to pay the duties and the shipping Formula One merch from the F1 store is a nightmare. So um, it's so expensive. So $200 doesn't get you very far at all. Um, That's all they were given because if they were given a refund, that is also uh, some sort of admission um, of, of guilt. So, that's also why Formula One couldn't do that as well. But regardless of Formula One having to protect itself, that is shocking. You know, they completely blew it up, uh, made this issue, which was an issue, even worse with how they communicated this to fans. And they put at risk, you know, the very uh, reason that they were putting this event on was to try to, you know, not pander, that's not the right word, but like try to just attract the casual fan, the casual American fan. This is the audience they are trying to tap into and they completely screwed them over in the end. So if anything, they may actually have lost some fans this weekend as well, if not made any. So Thursday night was a complete disaster. I'm not going to go into the whole Total Wolf comments. A lot of people were pretty sickened by that because he decided to you know, defend Formula One and say that it's ridiculous to call Thursday uh, a black eye for the sport um, when this event hasn't even finished and no one watches FP1 anyway. There were some problems in his statement for sure. Um, I do think some people who were very sickened by it also are, are, there were some valid points that Toto made, I think too. Um, but anyway, yeah, like I said, I don't want to get into it too much because I do want to talk about the rest of the weekend. Um, but the final thing I will say is that it just really seems like um, the issues with the Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix were definitely blown out of proportion a bit, especially by non-North American F1 fans. And I really, I'm not trying to start a war. You know, I don't even have enough of a following to um, have that issue. And I don't want any of my European fans to think I'm like coming after, uh, or not fans, uh, listeners. I don't want any of my European listeners to think I'm I'm coming after you at all. And, you know, maybe you are in complete disagreement with me. And that is okay. We're allowed to disagree. We don't have to agree on everything. Um, but I feel it's the exact same way with the Miami Grand Prix. And I've kind of, said it already this this episode I don't know why especially non-North American F1 fans are so determined to classify the Miami Grand Prix and the Las Vegas Grand Prix as just a joke like uh, right after the race 
um, which was great, by the way. The the event, the race, I think, shut up a lot of these people because they were expecting this, you know, pig-looking layout, the uh, simple track layout to be a nightmare. People last year were already talking about how the Las Vegas Grand Prix was going to be terrible um, and that it was going to have all this excess and then just be a trash race. And in fact, many of the drivers loved it, calling it the new Baku but better and whatnot. And we had an F1 personality that I will not name, not that he'll probably hear this anyway, but he was right after the race, instead of saying that the Las Vegas Grand Prix was great and whatnot and giving it its flowers, he says, okay, well now why do we need a Miami Grand Prix if we have this? How have you turned in, you know, turned a great event on Saturday into immediately trashing more American Formula One? Like to me, that was just absolutely ridiculous I, I, I that was kind of the boiling point for me because I was already very annoyed by all the lead up to the race um, you know people worried about those low temperatures like I said well guess what it was like 14 degrees people were talking about how it was going to be a shambles because it was going to be five degrees yet didn't even look at the forecast themselves because when I did it was it was forecasted for 11 degrees and it actually ended up being even warmer now the weekend had its issues. Like I said, Thursday was inexcusable, but it does not change the fact that there were still so many people looking to trash this event at every corner that they possibly could. And I'm so glad that it was a resounding success so they can, you know, really just shut their mouths and just stop trashing Formula One in North America. It really is um, very annoying for me. And I'm not even American, like, you know, traditionalists love the Montreal Grand Prix, the Canadian Grand Prix. Um, so this isn't like a patriotism thing. I just think that this is me defending Formula One. I want it to be bigger on this side of the world. And I think what they're doing is very smart and they're going about it mostly in the right way. So it just annoys me to see Formula One personalities, big Formula One personalities tr uh, look to trash it before um, they try to, you know, help promote or, um, you know, like th their, their opinions go a long way with formula one fans. These guys have big followings and instead they like to ridicule instead of, um, you know, lift up these events. And that's what annoys me the most. So again, rant number two over, um, if you're still listening at this point, you are a real one because, um, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, my rants weren't too eloquent. Um, but anyway, my final thoughts on the Grand Prix as a whole were that qualifying was great. The track layout was a pleasant surprise and the racing was amazing. And I think a lot of people um, are looking at this Grand Prix as one of the best of the season. Um, some people are were saying it the best of the season. And I don't even know if I would go that far, you know, the fact that we had a different winger, uh, sorry, winner in Singapore um, may have that one taking the cake for me. Um, you know, I thought Zanvoort was brilliant. That was the one that had the most overtakes. Um, I'm trying to look back and, and think of, of some of the other best ones of the year. But anyway, I don't know if I could just say outright that Vegas was the best, um, but it was certainly up there. It was It was great. Um, so now at this point of the episode, let's move into my more traditional, um, 
format. So we'll start with Red Bull because, of course, going in, you knew they would still have to be considered the favorites for this race. But I really did think that it could be a challenge for them, Um, you know, especially Max Verstappen, who I think is a little bit more vulnerable on street tracks. Um, They don't get their fronts working extremely well in qualifying, so I thought they could actually struggle there on Friday night. Um, Ultimately, they still definitely had the upper hand. They were pretty decent in qualifying, all things considered. Um, and then on race day, they don't have that same temperature issues because everything tends to stabilize. And then of course they were flying once again with, uh, you know, especially Max and his skinny wing really fast on the straights. And you know, he's not going to be slow throughout the rest of the lap. So of course Max Verstappen did go on to win and match Sebastian Vettel's, uh, all time wins number or total, I should say, which is pretty incredible. And the fact that both Red Bulls ended up on the podium, if you, you know, think of all the things that didn't go their way throughout the race, was still pretty impressive. Um, You know, Verstappen got a penalty on the first lap uh, for running Charles off the road. Checo also damaged his front wing. Um, That brought out a safety car, which, of course, kind of helped Checo change his front wing and bring him back in and get him on the hards. Um And then, you know, Verstappen had his little tangle with Russell later on and got more damage there. And then in the end, pretty much they were still miles ahead of anyone not named Charles Leclerc. But yeah, that first lap penalty with Verstappen, I feel like I have to give my opinion on this because um, he did kind of a classic max and just a very aggressively took the lead in the turn one didn't anticipate there being as low grip as there was um you know other drivers struggle with that as well and he completely took p1 by force it should have been leclerc um in in the lead out of turn one and it wasn't because verstappen was on the inside and went too deep and then we had to wait for eight laps to learn of you know what uh the stewards thought of the incident and I think they ordered Max to give the position back. But of course with these new stewards, um, what basically happens now is that the drivers or the teams just get to choose whether they want to give the position back or just take a five second penalty. And of course, because running in clean air and Max Verstappen in a Red Bull is so much quicker than everyone, he'd much rather just take the five second penalty and keep track position than to have to switch back so that's what happens he takes the five second penalties and he says i'll send my regards um which again annoyed me because i was already very annoyed with this man this weekend um and i think this kind of brings up something that you know the race a great podcast that i've shouted out many times on this podcast they have discussed this uh penalty Uh, many times this year in that it's kind of becoming a growing issue and the fact that we just slap this five second time penalty on everything when really it's not it's not doled out equally if you think back to Australia when signs got a five second penalty um, when everyone had to cross the line under safety car conditions that was an extremely harsh penalty and uh, sidebar how about Carlos signs with harsh penalties this year um, that is uh, <laughs> something that just crossed my mind. But still, it, it just shows that a five-second penalty there was extremely harsh. Yet here, 
And in many times, George Russell has made advantage of this, where he took a five-second penalty after uh, just cutting the track and overtaking Ocon and then um, not getting caught behind Ocon's gearbox for another couple laps and then just making up the five seconds over the course of the race and, and stuff like that. Like, it's not fair at all. Um, I'm not sure what the solution is, but something has to be done about that penalty because in this case, it would have been way more advantageous to be ahead than to, you know, uh, and be ahead with a five second penalty even than to be behind. So, um, the Formula One has to figure something out whether, you know, they keep five second penalties for track limit violations, but then they force, uh, uh, they force positions to be swapped sooner or because they have to also make their decision sooner. It can't take eight laps because eight laps later, Verstappen's three seconds ahead. And then it is a lot harsher to make him give up a three second gap and the position. So it has to be way sooner. Their decisions have to be snappy and they have to figure something out. Um, if they don't swap positions, then it's a harsher penalty or it's, you know, uh, a black and white flag or something. Um, of course, that's not a harsh penalty at all, but maybe if, you know, people get black and white flag for track limits and they don't swap a position, then they are black flagged. I don't know, something. Or, you know, maybe they incorporate just a, you lose a position at the end of the race penalty. Now, that would be extremely harsh as well because, you know, in that case, Verstappen would have had no chance of winning from lap one. But anyway, you get the point. Um, there has to be something done, um, because just giving out five seconds for not, uh, swapping a, a, a position that was, you know, taken and undeservedly so is just not fair. Um, and then also at Verstappen, uh, kind of moving on in his race. Sorry, I, I am kind of butchering how I'm moving on from this topic, uh, that collision with George Russell, I figured I'd give my thoughts on as well before kind of moving on with the Red Bull side of the race. I thought at first, um, at first I didn't think that it was George Russell's fault. I thought more so, what are you doing, Max? Because it was such a weird place to, to lunge and it wasn't just a normal overtake. It was a lunge. Um, and I, he wasn't completely alongside when they made contact. So I was like, Max, what are you doing? Like, that was such a stupid decision. And yeah, George Russell uh, aimlessly turned on, turned in on him without looking. And part of it was on George. I felt Verstappen was predominantly to blame. And I didn't hear anyone's t team radio. Well, I didn't hear George's. I heard Max's and he just said, oh, he turned in on me. Well, that's always what they say, right? So I was just like, okay, whatever. I was expecting a racing incident or a five-second penalty for Max Verstappen. And the stewards quickly gave George Russell five seconds and I was like what so I'm not gonna lie that was maybe it was my bias um um looking there because I'm a Mercedes fan um and then when George Russell came out after the race and completely apologized and said it was completely his fault um my perspective changed because I felt you know anytime a driver admits fault uh these drivers don't typically like to do that so um, I have to admit there's obviously something that either I just don't understand or I didn't see um, because, you know, I have to side with uh, someone who is actually in the incident over even my own opinion. Um, so clearly uh, Verstappen had done something that was 
totally within his uh, rights to do. And uh, George just has to be a little bit more aware of someone potentially overtaking him in kind of a strange corner. But uh, ultimately, the uh, the onus is on him to recognize when someone is alongside him, um, even though I still do not know what he was supposed to do in that scenario. He was just supposed to concede to F1's golden boy, I guess. But um, it was a pretty optimistic move from, from Max. Um, and in the end, he came away with it uh, with the position and uh, a bit of damage that apparently didn't affect the balance of the car, according to Christian Horner. So when that collision, though, brought out the safety car, that's when uh, both Perez and Leclerc dove in to the pits for a, or sorry, Perez and Verstappen dove in to the pits for a second stop, leaving Leclerc out there without his tire advantage anymore. In fact, Leclerc actually now had Perez right behind him and Verstappen charging from P5 on slightly fresher hards. Um, it felt like maybe it could be really close um, and Leclerc maybe was still able to pull it out. But as the laps counted down, it did feel more and more inevitable that Max would take the win again. And of course, he did do that. So props to Red Bull. Um, I do think they were fortunate to get that final safety car that, you know, was actually brought out by their own driver. So there's something to that, I guess. Um, but yeah, great livery, by the way, for them as well. I will say, uh, I guess just quickly on the liveries, uh, most of them I really liked Williams. I thought was a bit corny. Uh, Alfa Romeo's was sick. Um, McLaren's was very subtle, but cool. Um, I'm trying to think with uh, Aston Martin basically did nothing. Uh, Alpine was kind of different. I was actually more a fan of what those jackets that Gasly and Ocon were wearing more than their livery, but it was, it was fine. Um, and yeah, I'm not sure Haas or anyone did anything else, but anyway, uh, yeah, that's uh, all I got to say on the Red Bull front. So let's move on to Ferrari. Charles Leclerc P2. What a job this weekend. Another pole, dominant overlap of this circuit. And then there was that effort in the race. He overtook Max on the mediums, lost a position to Perez, and got it back twice. Um, you know, held on to the back from, uh, for Max. Uh, or, sorry, held on to the back of Max for a while. Um, it was great stuff from him. Easily my driver of the day. But we have to talk about that last lap, right? I mean, how have we got thrilling last laps in back-to-back races? And it's all thanks to Checo screwing up both times. Um, because, you know, Leclerc was really inching back the the gap on, on Perez. I think he was saving his battery for a last lap lunge. And he honestly shouldn't have had the opportunity to do so. On the final lap, going into... Uh, I forget what turn it is, but the little chicane at the end of the huge, you know, Las Vegas Boulevard straight, um, Perez was all the way over to the right. If he was just in the middle of the track or even covered the inside, I think Leclerc had zero chance to make the overtake stick. He would have had to try and follow through turn 17, and it would have been very, very hard to do that. Turn 17, the final fast uh, corner before the before the finish line. I don't think Leclerc would have been able to get past Perez through there. Um, so I'm not sure why he just invited the lunge from Leclerc, and that's exactly what Leclerc did. Now, Leclerc did have to execute. He was brilliant on the brakes to take that position, and that's what he was all weekend. Brilliant, 
I thought he was a big reason why this was the race of the year. Of course, there was overtaking, you know, all over the racetrack, all throughout the race, but the action at the front is what made it thrilling as well, and Leclerc brought that to the table. So um, hats off to him. He was fantastic, a deserving win, honestly, not just a P2. He deserved the win. The safety car really screwed him, I thought. Um, He would have had a much better chance at a win had it not been for that. So um, still a very deserving top two finish for him. He was fantastic. Now, as for signs, he was extremely unfortunate. Um, P2 in qualifying, of course, but he got the 10-second penalty. That was extremely unfair. He finished P6 in the end um, and had a bit of a mess of a race, uh, having to go to the back at the beginning as well with all the turn one shenanigans and then working his way forward. Um, He did finish ahead of the Mercedes, uh, which was huge for Ferrari. Now we get a pretty big battle ahead of the final round. Um, We will get to that later, but the penalty for signs, I feel like I have to discuss a little bit more as well. That is probably one of the most unfair penalties I've ever seen um, uh, anyone take in any sport um, because it was just totally common sense to not give it to him. Um, You know, a manhole cover that Formula One obviously didn't properly inspect completely damaged his Ferrari, forcing him on the second last race of the year where he probably could have made his power unit last for another race. Um, instead, he has to bring all new parts and he goes outside of his allocation for one of them, giving him an automatic 10, you know, grid 10 place grid penalty for not even a reliability issue from Ferrari. They had to do it because it was completely damaged and it was damaged by, you know, Formula One's fault. And then he gets penalized for it. He should have been on the front row. He, in fact, could have helped his teammate um, win the race. He wouldn't have he wouldn't have had Max Verstappen diving down the inside of him at the beginning of the race. So think about that. That could have also easily helped Charles Leclerc win. Um, so it's not even just unfair for signs. It, it hurt Ferrari massively as a whole. So, yeah, shocking stuff from F1. I think they got to review the the rule book because that was apparently they looked through the rule book to try and find um, a way to not penalize signs, but they couldn't. So then they were just like, well, sorry, man, but you're going to have to take the penalty. And I did also hear that there was a petition signed by all the teams except for Mercedes um, to have the penalty not taken away you know like mclaren and red bull both stuck up for signs and said that he shouldn't have to take the penalty um but in the end of course mercedes the team fighting with ferrari did think they deserved the penalty um and i'm that wasn't a very proud mercedes moment i thought that they would um show a bit of class there and you know agree that the penalty um shouldn't have been given to signs you know if you think if the shoe was on the other foot but in the end, I guess that's Formula One. Everyone's always looking out for themselves. So that was uh, a bit of a shame uh, from Mercedes. But anyway, we move on uh, because that covers the podium, of course, with uh, Max, Checo, and Leclerc. Usually, we uh, would move on to whoever finished P4, and that would be Mercedes, McLaren, even Aston Martin um, You know, at this point of the show. But uh, nope, we're talking about Alpine because it was P4 for Esteban Ocon and 
what a weird weekend it was, really. I mean, it was very up and down for Alpine. Um, they came in thinking they would be terrible. They didn't have a great practice. And then they, you know, rock up in qualifying, and Gasly puts it P5 and inherits a P4 spot on the grid. Um, Ocon was a little bit further down. He started the race in P16. Um, but then throughout the race, Gasly also is right in the back of George for so many laps. He had a great stint on the mediums. Um, Ocon did make some places uh, from P16 right at the start, and he was having a great race. And then they get on the hards, and Gasly gets a ton of graining. He didn't nurse in his hards well at all, where Ocon clearly did. Um, Ocon ends up battling with Gasly, and the team radio told him to hold position, but I guess Ocon says that they were telling him to hold position while they were literally wheel to wheel. So Ocon just took the position and then they didn't ask him to give it back. In the end, Alpine didn't want them to crash, which is exactly what they should be doing. They didn't crash, but they did actually have the right driver um, ahead in the end because he quickly pulled a gap. Gasly fell like a stone and actually fell out of the points in the end after having a great first half of the race. Um, and then Ocon is the one that gets the big result for the team. And as much as I am an Ocon fan, I always have been. Um, I'm happy for his result, but I also have a future on Pierre Gasly to win the team head-to-head. So it was looking like a lock, and now o- Ocon just needs four points, and uh, I think he actually takes it on countback. So I'm a little bit scared, but uh, it- it's fine. It was a great race for Ocon. Um, it's just a shame that it means absolutely nothing for Alpine uh, in the constructors since they are on an island, um, just in complete no-man's land with uh, Williams so far behind and then Aston Martin so far ahead. Um, but still, I think this was a positive weekend for Alpine. And then in P5 was Aston Martin, but not the usual man. It was Lance Stroll. Typically, you would expect Alonso to bring home this sort of performance or at least be the lead Aston Martin. Um, on any given race weekend but that was not the case here Alonso did get the better of Lance in quali but then he threw it away with a very uncharacteristic spin in turn one it did look like it was going to be like that classic opportunism we expect from Fernando especially on opening laps where he's had some sensational ones Um, it just seemed that when he lunged down the inside of turn one and he just didn't have the grip he expected and he really did cause quite a mess, completely ruined Bottas's race and compromised many others like Perez and um, those who had to, you know, go around the collision. Um, I will have more on Aston Martin later, but I just wanted to make sure Schroll got his flowers for another steady performance on race day with some fortune um, as well. Definitely was lucky. Uh, great opening lap. Didn't get involved in any, you know, clashes and just drove a clean race and secured a back-to-back p5 finish now mercedes i don't have much to say here i already uh kind of broke down russell's race because it was um looking like he was on for a p3 or p4 until that crash and that's basically um you know that set him back gave him a five second penalty and they ended up p8 um as for hamilton pretty bad qualifying and then uh a completely messy race. He lost positions at the start. Um, then as he was starting to make it up, he was having a pretty good race, overtaking a lot of cars, some brave overtakes as well. I thought him and Piastri put on an overtaking show throughout the race. Um, they easily had some of the prettiest overtakes I had ever seen. Um, uh, 
I would say the incident with Piastri was a bit of a nothing burger. Honestly, it's a shame that they both got punctures and that especially Lewis didn't realize they had a puncture until he passed pit lane. Um, so then he lost a ton of time going around and then he had a whole, he was out of the race until the late safety car that kind of brought him back in it. So that's what helped him finish P7. But I don't have a whole lot to say of Mercedes. Um, another missed opportunity and now they could lose P2 in the constructors as a result. So the results in the Grand Prix are as follows. Max Verstappen now matches Sebastian Vettel's win total at 53. As I said earlier, he is now firmly on F1's Mount Rushmore now. P2 was Charles Leclerc. Um, as far as I'm concerned, the deserved winner before the late safety car. Then P3 was was Sergio Perez, who probably should have made it a 1-2 for Red Bull had it not been for a super conservative defending on the last lap. Then, although George Russell took P4 on the road, um, he did not finish P4 in the end. It was Esteban Ocon that grabbed those 12 points for Alpine. Then it was Stroll in P5, Carlos Sainz in P6. P7 was Lewis Hamilton, another subpar result from him, but a decent recovery from a messy race weekend. George Russell's penalty proved harsh, dropping him four positions to P8. P9 was Fernando Alonso. Then it was Oscar Piastri taking two points because of P10 and the fastest lap. Now the driver standings, the top 10 looks like this. Max Verstappen, of course, is our champion this year. 549 points he's on. Then it's Sergio Perez way down with 273. He has locked up that P2 fight in the drivers. The first ever Red Bull 1-2 in the drivers, so congratulations to them as well. Lewis Hamilton also locked third place in the drivers. Nobody can challenge that. He is on 232 points. Then it is a tie for P4, although Carlos Sainz does have the tiebreaker. He is on 200 points as well as Fernando Alonso. So the Spaniards both on 200. Five points back is Lando Norris on 195. And then a further seven points back is Charles Leclerc uh, on 188. So that fight for P4 is on. I don't think the drivers care about it at all, though. George Russell, now he is completely out of that fight. He is on 160. He looks to be kind of the uh, the bottom of a big group there. Um, it's been a bit of an unfortunate season for him. So George Russell, P8 in the drivers on 160 points. And then way further down is Oscar Piastri. I think most agree a decent rookie season, but in the end, he is over 100 points behind his teammate. So he's on 89. And then Lance Stroll, speaking of points behind your teammate, he is 127 points behind his teammate. 73 he is on and then Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon don't think they're going to be entering that top 10 they're on 62 and 58 in 11th and 12th then looking at the constructors Red Bull on 822 points and then the actual interesting ones Mercedes 392 Ferrari 388 separated by four points and then it's McLaren and Aston Martin McLaren of course is still ahead in P4. They're on 284. Aston Martin is on 273. That's an 11-point gap. And then we have Alpine in no man's land on 120 points. And then it's Williams, 28. They're in P7. Uh, they are seven points ahead of AlphaTauri, who are on 21. Then Alfa Romeo, five points back from AlphaTauri on 16. And Haas in last place with 12. Now the prize demise and surprise. I actually had a bit of a difficult time with this one because I think Leclerc easily could have been the prize. Um, 
some other people had some good races, but I went a little bit outside of the box here and I went with Logan Sargent. I didn't talk about Williams. Um, they didn't score in the race. That is why. Um, but I feel like I, they deserve some love here too, because they did have a sensational qualifying, um, on the grid. They lined up fifth and sixth. Yes. Logan Sargent qualified P seven, easily his best result of the year. Um, and I think he deserves the prize because overall he actually had a very clean weekend. He was behind Albon the whole way. Don't get me wrong. However, I think he was close enough and was just clean enough the whole way through that uh, it definitely severely increased his chances of coming back next year. So great job, Logan. Um, he even got a little uh, pre-game or pre-race uh, speech from Tom Brady ahead of time, which is super cool. So maybe that's uh, where some of his fortune came from um, because he had a great performance this weekend and I think I try to look big picture and this was a very good weekend for Logan Sargent's big picture now the demise I'm going to keep this one obvious it was the fans on Thursday um they took the biggest L here and uh even though Formula One is being sued um by a group of people acting on behalf of those 35,000 fans I'm not sure anything will come of it, and in the end, they will be screwed over, um, and that's really the end of it, so they are, unfortunately, my demise, and then the surprise, I think, was just how fun this weekend turned out to be. Even I, um, someone who has, you know, clearly defended this event throughout this episode, I was still surprised by how good the racing was on Saturday night, you know. I'm really, really looking forward to this event next year. I'm not sure they'll have a, another opening ceremony like they did this year, but if they do, I'm all for it. I thought it was super cool. I enjoyed most of the weekend's um, uh, you know, events that they put on. I, I wish that I saw more of Martin Brundle's grid walk. I saw that he got completely shunned by Shaquille O'Neal, who, funnily enough, was taking a photo with the Red Bull team, and then Brundle asked him one question, and he was like, Lewis Hamilton, baby. <laughs> he just took a photo with Red Bull, but anyway, uh, pretty funny stuff. Um, yeah, I had a lot of fun this weekend, and uh, I hope the spectators did as well. All right, now the preview of the finale of the 2023 Formula One season. Abu Dhabi is this week. This is my hated finale. I uh, have been very critical of this race for a few years now. Um, I think the layout is much improved since the 2021 renovations. Don't get me wrong. Um, that's all I'll mention about Abu Dhabi 21. But I do think it is still such an unfortunate event to end the season. Um, you know, even this Vegas Grand Prix ending the season, I think would have been super cool um, to go out into the Middle East, into uh, the desert is just uh, not the way I wish Formula One ended their season. I guess it's really all their way to say it. I think you know kind of where I'm going with it. So um, I just find Abu Dhabi dull. Uh, I'm sure we'll get Red Bull domination here again to end what's been a pretty hard season for F1 fans. The great bit is that we do have some great constructors fights on the line. So... I'm going to do some more predictions um, than I usually do. I'll still do my regular quality race and bold predictions, but 
I'm also going to give my thoughts on what constructor is going to come out on top after this weekend. Uh, so on a track like this, I do think uh, Ferrari is going to continue their one lap form. Um, so I'll say Leclerc is on pole and Verstappen will split the Ferraris. I do think that uh, the two long straights split by a chicane and then some slow speed in sector three will suit the Ferrari and they will be competitive here. Um, I'll have more on them when I talk about their fight with Mercedes. Uh, on race day, though, I, I'm sure it will be Max. Um, but I'm going to save my podium until after I reveal what I think will happen in each constructor battle. As for my bold prediction, I think AlphaTauri could be a team to watch here. I think they're bringing a new floor, the only team bringing an upgrade to the finale. Um, so if that brings them any sort of performance, I think they could definitely be competitive. So boldly, I'll say double points for them. But will it be enough? A perfect segue for the first constructor battle that I want to discuss. Williams versus AlphaTauri for P7. It's a seven-point gap. Smaller than that of Alpha over Haas or even AlphaTauri over Alpha. However, I just don't believe that either of those teams have a chance to score in this final round. And especially the amount of points that they need to make up any places. So I'm not talking about them. I am going to talk about these two though because I do think they actually have a chance they being Alpha Tauri and Williams um, so in order for Alpha Tauri to finish P7 they need a P7 on Sunday or better um, and actually a P7 still won't be enough because if say Yuki comes home in P7 they would still need Daniel to come home in P9 or P10 with the fastest lap um, because they need eight points to beat Williams, as Williams will have any tiebreaker um, on countback. So that is a tough ask for this AlphaTauri team, but I think they will have the performance to make it close. In the end, though, a lot will still have to go their way, as you know, I don't believe they will have the performance to overcome the teams. That also have a lot to play for this weekend. You know, Red Bull's going to be there, of course. And then there's still four teams ahead of them in the constructors that have battles of their own. So already that's five teams, 10 drivers taking up points, paying positions. So that doesn't even include a team like Alpine. Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be enough. However, I could easily see Yuki or Daniel, you know, capable of a P9 or something like that. They just need more. It's a little bit too much to ask. Um, I think if Yuki, um, you know, scored points in Mexico like he like he could have and not thrown it away, um, this could have been a lot more possible on this final weekend. But I don't think it's going to happen. Next up is Aston Martin versus McLaren. It looks like a foregone conclusion that McLaren would be, uh, you know, P4 a few months ago. But um, a revived Aston team and some unfortunate McLaren circumstances has allowed Aston back in this fight. Now, this is the biggest gap of the three um, of the three battles that are on the line for this uh, this final event. Um, but I do think it's actually more likely than AlphaTauri over Williams. It's 11 points Aston needs over McLaren. That's something like a P4 and a P5 versus McLaren getting a P6 and a P9. 
Um, just an example that uh, would win Aston Martin this position in the constructors. Now, do I think Stroll beats Norris in any worlds? No, I do not. Um, you know, I think Lando actually probably just gets enough points himself to seal this. So, yes, I am backing McLaren, but say something happens to him, you know, not necessarily retirement, but a messy qualifying or a messy race where he can only recover to, you know, the bottom of the points. Um, that makes it, you know, truly on between these two teams. Uh, you know, Lance will definitely have to contribute. His goal should be in the top 10 and beat Piastri at all costs where Alonso, I think, needs a worldie like he's got to be up there at the sharp end or else they won't even score the 11 points that they need even if McLaren has a stinker so I think his goal should be minimum p5 and beating Lando um so the more the more I say this I think this sounds you know more and more of a of a tall order the longer I spell this out so it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility, but I do think McLaren also takes this battle. Now, lastly, the closest, the fiercest, and the fight for the highest result in the standings is the battle for P2 between Mercedes and Ferrari. Right now, Ferrari is just four points back. Last year, Ferrari outscored Mercedes here by 20 points. It wasn't even close. Um, you know, this year, granted, Lewis actually finishes the race. It shouldn't be that big of a gap. Um, in fact, there's actually a world where Ferrari, say, grabs 20 points with a P4 and a P6, while Mercedes takes 16 with P5 and P7. So, you know, that's four Ferrari and Mercedes is finishing an order in like the middle of the points. That could easily happen. And in that world, Ferrari takes P2 on countback because of Carlos Sainz's win in Singapore. That would be quite the scenes. Um, so Ferrari has the tiebreaker. They have the momentum. Um, they have the better history here for, uh, it, during these regulations, of course. Uh, otherwise, Mercedes definitely has a better history in Abu Dhabi. Um, Ferrari has pretty much everything on their side. They just don't have the lead. And frankly... They don't have Lewis Hamilton either. I think if Lewis can just be in the ballpark in qualifying and not needing a mega recovery drive, I think he will finish as the lead driver of the four here, even though I think Leclerc is probably on the front row. And also, if George can just have a good race, uh, good qualifying and stay you know, kind of in the mix, I think Mercedes will take this. However, I do expect Ferrari to start further ahead. I expect them to have decent pace out of the blocks. You know, like I said, the slow speed in sector three and the two straights with the chicane separating them should, um, you know, suit their car pretty well. Um, but I do think the tire egg will get to them. Their tire egg is definitely a factor here. Um, and I think Lewis can make a charge on the final stint, take P3 in the race ahead of Leclerc. And as long as George is close to signs, I think Mercedes will stay P2. But this one could easily go the other way. Um, so my final podium prediction is Red Bull 1-2 to finish the season of dominance. Max Checo and then Lewis Hamilton grabs the final spot on the podium. Well, 
We're going to wrap it up here. We're going to skip Brad's bets. But before I do that, I do want to give a quick Andretti update because another huge development uh, came in this this entry um, of Andretti Cadillac. Um, This was something that would have been in the preview episode, but I'm getting to it now. I don't want to skip over it because... You know, last time we talked about how the FIA officially approved them, and now we're just waiting on FOM, uh, Formula One Management, and Liberty Media to give their final approval. But now, this is even bigger news as far as I'm concerned. General Motors has made their own entry to become a power unit supplier for 2028, making this Andretti Cadillac bid, you know, officially a works team trying to get into F1 with the legendary motorsport name of Andretti. I said last time, maybe there was a legitimate concern that this, you know, team trying to get into Formula One would be the IndyCar version of Andretti, a team that is underachieved in that series. This isn't that. This has basically made their entry bid bulletproof as far as I'm concerned. You know, Formula One now has no reason to say no Apart from their own greed, you know, as I explained last time as well, many teams are not keen on splitting the prize pie with an 11th team, especially the, you know, the less fortunate teams like Williams and Haas. They don't want to make less from their, you know, bottom constructors standings. And the, the teams have frequently thrown around this term, you know, that they, the new team has to add value. This team would add a hell of a lot of value, way more than Sauber, way more than Haas, more than Williams, even with their heritage. This team would add a ton of value. So that that argument is also out of the window as far as I'm concerned as well. Right now, Formula One has the opportunity to bring in the biggest car manufacturer that has never been in Formula One, and they're going to be a works team with a, a name like of Andretti that is very famous in motorsport, especially in America. GM, huge in America. This is an audience Formula One is trying to tap into. Liberty Media should be frothing at the mouth of, of this opportunity to bring in a team of, of this magnitude and, you know, have them really be a, a real American F1 team, not Haas. If they're not going to allow that team, they won't approve anyone. They're just not going to. So I am now very interested to see how this plays out. And I hope that we have an 11th team. I hope Formula One does the right thing and approves this bid because it's incredible, I think, what Andretti's done. So, yeah. Hopefully Andretti's in the sport by 2026 and they have a GM engine in the back of it by 2028. That now is going to do it for episode 79 of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I will be back next week to review the season finale in Abu Dhabi. As the curtain closes on a tough season in Formula One, we all know it. The fans have gone through it this year. And if you are still watching Formula One at this point of the season, You're a real fan, man. Um, So the question is, can we end this season with a bang? Because I sure hope so. Goodbye.